0: hello and welcome once again to the perimeter church podcast any of us think we can go it alone in the christian life we don't need the church we don't need other christians we want to do it all on our own like the lone ranger however even the lone ranger had help and knew that two were better than one Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us the fifth and final part of the church, your church, and you, which covers Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45, and Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Thank you for joining us today.
1: I think it was about 20 years ago, close if not, that there was a diet plan that came out somewhat faddish it didn't last very long and for good reason that maybe some of you who are old-timers can remember it was called deal a meal any of you remember that deal a meal it may have been Richard Simmons I don't know (laughs) but deal a meal basically had cards and you were given so many cards per day and it represented a particular type of food and a particular amount of calories that you got in that food grouping whatever it was and then when your cards were up then your food that's it for the rest of the day so i happened to know a lady that good friend of carol and mine as well and that she was on this deal a meal and so I'm a little suspicious of Dilla And so I'm just asking her a few questions. So I said, well, explain how this works. She explained it to me. And I said, well, let me ask you this. When the cards run out and you're still hungry or you want something to eat, what stops you from eating something? She says, you just don't do that. And I said, and why don't you do that? And she said, because the cards won't let you. <laughs> I heard that and I thought... Wow. That has to prove that a little accountability goes a long, long way. Amazing that a little card. Would keep somebody on a plan for a diet. When you think spiritually. How critically important it is. That we would have accountability. Oh my goodness. Unfortunately. Probably a majority of us here who truly are desirous to grow spiritually, if honest, would say, I don't know that I have any real accountability in my life experience. And for that reason, we're addressing two forms of accountability that the church offers. One last week, we put it under the title Every Believer Needs the Accountability of a Church Covenant. And church covenant, meaning a, a pledge, uh, that we come under the oath and leadership of the church and we, we say, I am committed to, and we make vows. You heard those vows here in our time of adult baptisms. And in doing so, we, in a sense, have this kind of broad, overarching commitments that we are accountable to because we've made pledges in the presence of God and so forth. But the reality is we need to go beyond that they're the specifics of every day that we need help and so today we're going to be addressing a second form of accountability provided by the church and we'll put it under the heading every believer needs the accountability of a faithful community so i want us to address this idea of a faithful community i'd like to explain it in terms of Three characteristics. But before I do that, let me just say this. I make sure that we understand this thing called accountability. A lot of people think accountability is simply having some people around you that ask you hard questions. And then they challenge the bad behaviors that we exhibit. And and I'm not saying that accountability wouldn't include that kind of thing. But if it stops there, I'm going to suggest that what we really have is something that's called behaviorism. We're trying to shape our behavior by what other peoples do to us or for us. Well, we want to go beyond that. Christianity is a faith of the heart. And so we have to go well beneath that. And so accountability may be asking the hard questions and even challenging the bad behaviors. But what it's doing is it's trying to find the sin beneath the sin. And if someone working together with you, are working with me to say let's get to the real root of what's causing the issues of life that you're facing so thinking of accountability that way we want to talk about this faithful community how God uses a faithful community in our lives so three characteristics I'm gonna hit them very very quickly then we'll take a little brief time of, of worship as we'll break together for that and then we'll come back and I'll work through life plan and the rest of the detail you and your church Three important characteristics. Number one, a faithful community understands the essence of biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship. Surveys have been taken by of church people to ask what is it that you look for most importantly in a church? And the answer that comes back as number one is fellowship. Well, unfortunately, what fellowship means by most who say that is I want social connection and a spiritual environment. I want friends in my church. Very important. But if you stop there, I think we've come short of the biblical understanding of fellowship. Chuck Colson, in his book, The Body, that I've read from the last week or two, uh, he describes this well as he's talking about the The shallow understanding of what fellowship really means from a biblical standpoint. And he picks up there and he says, But the word for fellowship in the New Testament, uh, New Testament Greek, koinonia, means none of these, what he's already talked about. It is something much richer. Literally, it means a communion. I love that. A participation of people together in God's grace. It describes a new community. In which individuals willingly covenant to share in common, to be in submission to each other, to support one another and bear one another's burdens, as Paul wrote to the Galatians, and to build each other up in relationship with the Lord. Biblical fellowship involves serious commitment and obligations. That is so very, very true. Fellowship is more than unconditional love that wraps its arms around someone who is hurting though it certainly is that it is also tough love that holds one fast to the truth and the pursuit of righteousness true fellowship out of love for one another demands accountability well put i'd like for you to turn in your bibles to acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 now this is a text that probably many 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 of you have have read on numerous occasions Uh, We've taught it in depth here. This truly is the expression of the community of saints, the church, exhibiting fellowship. Beginning in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, this is what we read. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those, and this is the key, all of those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Now, this may be somewhat of an extreme expression in many of our opinions, but the reality is that fellowship is this idea where we've got people networked in our life experience as believers who are saying, let's hold everything in common. Let's hold our sin in common in this regard. The depth of the darkness of the closets of my heart and the trash that's in there, I would readily invite you to come in and help me clean it out. If I see you in need, I wanna help you. If that's a physical need, if it's whatever, but I, I just want us to sense that we are committed to each other and willing to do that and so first of all a biblical understanding of of this idea of a fellowship is a it's a faithful community a biblical fellowship now number 2 let's look at the second of the characteristics a faithful community knows the importance of one anothering i like that little term one anothering I'll challenge you to do this. If you take a concordance, that's a book that you can find every time a particular word is used in the Bible, and go through and look for the words one anothering. And see when you see one another. It is amazing how many times. Let me give you some of them. Listen to this just quickly. The Bible says, and this is New Testament only love one another, be devoted to one another, be of the same mind with one another accept one another warn one another admonish one another confess your sins to one another care for one another serve one another submit to one another teach one another comfort one another encourage one another pray for one another bear one another's burden and it just goes on and on do you get this idea that god is saying look you're not meant to make it on your own in your spiritual formation You should be having people networked in your experience, in your pilgrimage, in your journey that are helping you as you walk through, as you're helping them as they walk through. It's a whole idea of of being connected in biblical fellowship. David Watson puts it this way. He says, it is all very well for Paul to say, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. But if you are on your own, it is frankly impossible to defy the materialistic and humanistic pressures of society on every side. I think God's just designed us. He simply designed us for optimum growth to have people networked into our life experience. Let's look up one second text, and that's Ecclesiastes. The Old Testament, Ecclesiastes chapter four. We'll begin with the ninth verse. And the ninth verse is going to give us an overall general description of the value of others in our life experience. And then verses 10, 11, and 12, we're going to look at three different aspects, how another person enters into our experience to help us. The general perspective here, two are better than one, verse nine, because they have a good return for their labor. So there's just a general statement. In verse 10, we see the importance of assistance from others. If either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Verse 11 gets into the need for comfort. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And then verse 12, the idea of protection. And if one can overpower him who is alone two can resist him a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart meaning the more you bring into that the stronger it becomes and we see here about protection you hear the story of the of the man went in the bar and uh, he saw a man much weaker looking and it's felt like this is somebody he could pick on and so he just picked a, a fight with him and he just popped him let him have it next thing he remembers though he's in the hospital and he looks up and One of his friends has visited him and he says, what happened? He said, man, I didn't have any idea he had so many friends. Well, that's the idea. Now, we're talking just here physical stuff. You think about the spiritual realm. Take each of these, assistance, the need we have for other people, but then comfort. You don't want when your time of crisis comes, you lose a child, a spouse, you find out you have cancer. It's a terminal cancer perhaps. You don't want a stranger coming to you, maybe sent from the church because there's no one else in your network of of relationships to take care of you. You want those people that say, I know you and I love you and I'm here for you right now. You need protection. I need protection. Who's praying for us to protect us spiritually? Who's taking our names before the Lord every day saying, Lord, watch after my friend, my pal, my buddy. I got a bunch of friends. I pray for them every day. It's a list of about 15. And I say, God, would, would, you, would you protect and care and keep these guys right now? And then I've got the guys in my journey group in addition to those. Many of them very new friends. But I'm saying, Lord, I want you to protect these guys. Take care of them. So in every respect, we need help. Number three, and last of all, a faithful community is willing to experience the discomfort and pain often produced by spiritual accountability. Ugh. Nobody wants discomfort and pain unless you know that it brings something more important to you than not experiencing discomfort and pain. For instance, remember some of you that were in sports, maybe you're in sports now, young people. And you get involved in a team and that good coach would just run you to death, would just get you in the best condition knowing that your real ultimate desire is to win. And knowing if I do that, I will have a better chance to win. The same is true in relationships. The reality is, is that we have only pseudo community. It's a counterfeit unless we go through some discomfort and pain that comes through truthfulness authentic community always has truthfulness and we all know the truth often hurts doesn't it, it does let me read from the book honest to god by heibels bill heibels he says certain people that are trying to just get the pseudo type they buy peace on the surface but underneath there are hurt feelings troubling questions and hidden hostilities just waiting to erupt. It's a costly price to pay for a cheap peace. Scott Peck in his book, Different Drum, says the only antidote to pseudo-community is chaos where hurts are uncovered and hostilities are revealed. Now, if you're married, I know you know what this is all about. You know how it is to live in a, a pseudo-peace. It's kind of a yeah, we're not in conflict, we're not arguing, but let's face it, it's not good. It's not what it should be. If You're married, you you know what it is to hear those dreaded words from your spouse. You know what they are, don't you? We need to talk. Somebody came up to me after the last service and said, I would much rather hear my wife say, The IRS are going to be coming to look at our finances (laughs) than ever to hear her say, we need to talk. (laughs) Scott Peck, in his book, talks about how we can be on a, a little mountaintop, it appears. Relationally, things are going pretty good. but We understand that there's another mountain range up here that's much higher in relationship. And we look at it and we say, boy, I'd love to have that. Wouldn't that be great to have that? But unfortunately, we know that we have to go down into a valley. That's what he calls the valley of chaos to get up to that mountain peak of relationship. And it becomes pretty dark down there. Pretty miserable. Fairly painful getting through that valley. No one likes the valley. And in that valley, we say, I just wish I could keep the comfort of the peak we had but the reality is you're in it now and when you come through it you know that it's a rich and better experience carol and i, I i've man she comes i hear her say those words we need to talk and my response is i don't think we need to talk <laughs> do you think we're doing pretty good right now we no no we need okay we talk and then when she says we need to talk she's really saying she needs to talk to me about me (laughs) and I know that and I understand and and about the time she starts talking I begin to realize that oh man I didn't even realize what I was saying what I was doing how I was oh my and I feel horrible about it I really do I just feel bad and I'm thinking did we really need to talk about this couldn't we just have but I don't I want to avoid it but I'll say this when we get through it inevitably we're at a peak that is far beyond where we were before and I'm forever saying thank you that we talked about that And we need that with people in our life experience. Sometimes it is not going to be easy. I would suggest when those times come, don't deny, don't rationalize. Don't retaliate, certainly. Listen, evaluate. Maybe you embrace what they say to be true. Maybe it's not. But if anything, we just applaud them and say, way to go that you would be willing to risk relationally. Because... You're trying to help me. You can smell it when they're telling you what's wrong with you for their sake only. But when they come and they're saying, I see something and I'm concerned. That's when we ought to say, you love me, don't you? Invite them in. I'm going to be sharing at these groups that we meet together. I'm going to be sharing about two new types of groups that we're going to be forming to marry with our journey groups to meet needs that perhaps the journey groups are not meeting in our church as wonderful as they are not to replace journey groups but I'm going to be sharing with you some of the things over the next five years and we're going to be launching these in January these two different types of groups I want you to come hear about them for some it may not even be a time for you to be in a journey group and these may be a better time but uh, a better timing for you. Uh, but the reality is come in here. I want you to be aware of those things. I to suggest that everybody, as I conclude this first portion, I, I want to I conclude by saying, I think every one of us need to ask ourselves, do I have the three friends I need in my life? One, I need a number of special friends. Oh, I might call you a friend and you a friend because I know you, But I'm talking about special in that you're going to comfort me in my time of pain and heartache and and you care about me and, and you know me fairly well. You're not going to come into the deep, dark part of my life. I'm not going to probably ever invite you in there. But I know that you care about me. We need people that we can say, I know I've got brothers and sisters in Christ like that. We need a few, what I'm going to call special friends. Special friends are those that you can invite in to the dark, cluttered, messy closets of our heart where there's sin residing and we need it to be clean, cleansed out. We need, we need some, somebody to come in and help us clean it out. And those are the people that we can say, look what's inside. And they're not going to say, and, I, and I'm your friend, what in the world? They're going to say, I embrace you and accept you. In your deep sin. And your effort to work through it. Man I'm here with you. And I want to help you. Let me ask you. Do you have friends like that? Could you enumerate a handful of people. That you could say. These people. I'm safe with. And they're aware. They know. Vitamin. The third. Is the one and only. Supernatural friend. That's Jesus. That's the one that knows you. In spite of your sin, he says, I love you with all my heart. Every day you can tell him what's going on. You can confess that sin. You can deal with him, letting him know he already knows anyway. And you simply invite him into your life and say, I want to walk with you every single day. As we now close this series on this portion, the church. I hope that every one of you have the accountability of a church covenant. And if you don't have it, please get it soon. I'll give you a date you can jot down. October twenty seven and twenty eight. We have our next inquires, which is a step towards seeing, is this the right church for you? Would you like to be a part? I encourage every one of you who have not been through it. Let's have the biggest class we've ever had. Let's bring us all back. Let's get under the covenant. And then secondly, a faithful community. If you don't have a faithful community, for sure, check it out next, tomorrow night, the next Monday night. Now come and hear about journey groups. It's the best group we have to take you deep in your faith. If you want that, come and get it. And my prayer is that we're going to be a church over these next five years that really knows what it is to have true faith faithful community get that grow up well let's pray together father thank you for the privilege to have learned these last five weeks about the church and what you have given to us in her forgive us when we've not loved her well in spite of all of her blemishes and struggles and problems and for all of us here that have struggled because of abusive and bad church experience oh god bring healing to us and let us find what it is to be in church and to be a part of your bride and I pray for the community that we're all looking for all of us that want to grow up God grant us the right people bring them into our life experience we pray for we pray in Christ's name amen we close this series out now by addressing first you and then your church give a little picture of where we're going here we've been talking about life planning I'm going to invite you if you have your insert to open to that center panel that says you at the top. And you'll see the the outline that we've been working through, beginning with purpose, vision, mission. Last week, we dealt with the subject matter of values. This week, we talk about goals, which answer the question, how will I know if I'm accomplishing my mission and vision? And then number six, we'll look at schedule. How will I use my time to accomplish my goals? To do this, I'd like to model as I've been doing each week by just using my own life plan, giving you a a picture of it. My vision, going back to the vision, a simple statement. We find our various roles. Mine happens to be a follower, husband, a father, pastor, and church member. So to be a faithful or to be a mature follower of Christ, a godly husband and father, and a faithful pastor and church member. Now, if you look at that, The first of my different roles is a mature follower of Christ. So when you came to your mission, which describes how you're going to accomplish the vision, you take each of your roles and you kind of give a little expression of what does it mean to be a mature follower? So that portion of my vision, I'll show you the mission portion that goes along with that. It's how I become a mature follower of Christ by living consistently under the control of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the word of God. The motivation of love of Christ, an effective manager of my life, relationships, and resources, a willing minister to God's people, and an available messenger to non kingdom people. Now, you can take each one of those where I put a comma, and you can take each one of those particular expressions of what needs to take place, whether it be uh, an effective manager of my life, relationships, and resources. Just take that portion. Well, you could say, okay, what are some goals to see that happen? And I'm going to show you how my goals that are written that correspond to just this first portion of becoming a mature follower of Christ. And so as you do so, you'll see, first of all, living consistently under the control of the Holy Spirit. So I say, okay, what are some goals that could relate to that? Well, here's what came to my mind. To begin and end each day, kneeling before God, pledging my intention to faithfully follow him. Number two to confess my sins immediately upon recognizing them so that just gives you an idea of some things i can uh, they're very measurable did i start my day this way each time that i sense sin did i try to bring it quickly to confess it and deal with it appropriately Uh, these have been goals for years for me and i've got now a kind of a, a master list of the goals and then each each year i can plug in and change and say i'm gonna do a little less of this a little more of that i'm gonna delete this and we'll add whatever i want to do and so you'll find a rhythm that comes in this over time i will predict now we come to the second piece living under the direction of the word of god that same statement Uh, what am i going to do to see that happen well four things one i can read through the new testament at night before going to bed that's not reading through every night Uh, this is a year Read through half the Old Testament in the mornings. Uh, Trying to get through the whole Old Testament was too much for me. I said, let's do a half time. And then some years, I don't do it. I I won't read through the Bible. I'll do something in exchange uh, for that. Uh, Next, do a thorough study of maybe one or two, whatever, Old Testament, maybe one or two New Testament books of the Bible during your personal worship. What are you going to be using? And so you can identify a book or a couple of books or whatever you think your appetite is. If they're long books, maybe one, short books, two or three through the year, and work through those. Right now, I'm in the book of Titus, and so it's been a, a good time. I'm walking through Titus, and, and short book, but I've, I'm doing several this year because of that. Memorize blank verses of Scripture per month. I have found that Scripture memory is very, very important to me. I found that to be most important, so I, I kind of hit pretty hard on that as a rule. But there are times and seasons I say, I am tired of memorizing. And I'm not good at memorizing anyway, so I say I'm going to kind of take a rest on that one, and I won't do it for a while. So, however you, uh, however you find beneficial to you, um, faithful member of God's church. Now I'm not going to put anything under that except my, keep my church covenant. Now, you heard the vows this morning when we went through the vows. Those are the four vows that I say. That's my goal to keep those four vows. So um, I don't really say much more about that. And then we come to uh, manager of life, relationships, and resources. And uh, so I say, one, I want to meet every month with the thats the elder ministry team that I report to, making sure they ask me accountable questions at each meeting. Last week I met with them, and when uh, they rotate who asked me the hard questions, and, and um, when I got through, one of the other elders said, whew, those were tough questions right there. And they were. They were good and healthy for me to kind of find out where I am and to invite them into my life experience and so forth. Next is to maintain my weight at. (laughs) That changes every year. Um, (laughs) To exercise blank times a week. Figure out what your appetite for exercise is. To pay blank extra on home mortgage per month. Uh, We went to Ramsey like many of you did a year ago. So that gets in there now. To give X percent of our income to the church and other kingdom causes and blank percent through faith promise giving. So we can know ex- exactly what we're planning uh, to be giving. To say, this is something new in our experience. We haven't done much of this, but uh, again, Ramsey hit us hard on this. To save blank percent of our income in a contingency fund. So trying to work on that. To read and whatever you feel your appetite for reading. Some are big readers, some are not so big. Pick whatever you think would be a healthy, appropriate goal to reach in reading. Uh, to get blank hours of sleep per night, six days a week and blank hours one day. I like to take one day and kind of restore in a bigger way. And so maybe one day better than the others, but whatever you you, uh, figure. And we can stop there. And you can see that there are a lot of goals that I use. Now, that doesn't mean that's the way it's going to be best for you to do it. In fact, I'm working through this now with my journey group and uh, that we met last week. And we're in the last week kind of completing our Uh, Plans, our our life plans. And I I had them reading their goals and I was amazed uh, how few most of their goals were. And not to say that's wrong. And I didn't say, Hey, you need more goals. You need to do it like me. But, but you know, some will put fewer goals, but put goals down. Did you listen? Did you listen at all? Watching, listening to the Olympics and what these interviews said one after the other with the Olympic champion, They'd ask a question and the answer would have the word goal in it. I just saw over and over. Well, that was one of my goals, one of my goals, one of my goals. Let me tell you, none of those Olympic champions made it where they're going without goals. I bet you, you couldn't find one who would say, I didn't have any goals. I just swam every day. (laughs) I mean, they, they had goals. They said, this is what I want to do. And here's how I can measure and see if I'm getting there and so forth. Let me tell you, folks, the same is true with our faith. We need goals. Goals don't make us who we are. God makes us who we are, but to put a goal in front and pray for it and to strive toward it is very appropriate. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now we come to schedule. This is a harder piece. Because scheduling is like budgeting your time as equivalent to money budgeting for your finances it's hard and i we find and i bet most of you will find that you will say i have more things it seems i need to be doing than i have time to do them and i hear people say oh no god never gives you more to do than you've got time to do it i don't believe it it i sure haven't figured it that way it seems like now i know that god truly but but I, I never come to the place that i say i see time to do everything i think that would be important healthy and good I just don't see that. So what do you have to do? Like you do with money. What do you do with money? You say, well, we're going to have to cut this a little out of the budget here. And this one we got to delete. And this one we need to so-and-so. And uh, until you finally say, okay, now it's packaged where it is, it is workable at least. Not ideal, but it is workable. That's all you try to do. Here's my recommendation when you're doing your scheduling. I think blocking time as a general oversight For one year budget of your time, kind of put one big schedule out. You just guesstimate, say, this is probably how I will best block my time. This is the time in the morning that I want to spend time with the Lord. Here's the time that I'm going to be at work. Here's the time that I'm going to be working on this. You're in in school or you're in sport and I'm going to practice this amount. Uh, I'm going to have this much time with my family. I'm going to have this much time recreation and rest. So you kind of block when generally that time would come. I realize it's not going to be that way every week of the year. In fact, many of us here would say my schedule is never the same. It's radically different every week. Some weeks I'm traveling, some weeks I'm not. Well, just put kind of a general, and then what you do is weekly, you've got a better site where you're going. You come down to a weekly budget of your time, and you say, here's why I plan to use Monday. This would be the general plan. I realize I'm going to be available. God's going to call me to do this. This is going to come up, something unique. I'll be available. I'll be flexible. But this is kind of the starting point plan. Then when you get to each day, if you choose at night before and morning, as you start your day, you write out your schedule, perhaps, and say, this is how I plan to use the day. This is how it'll best be, be used. I'll guarantee you this. Either you will schedule your day or other things and events will schedule it for you. And typically at the end of the day, you come and say, I didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. Do I do this as well as you think I do? No. No. Promise you, I don't do it as well, but I am a more naturally oriented, organized person. Uh, my, my mother would say, you know, your brother and you'd sit there and he was just a sloppy mess and you were always trying to put things in, in the little it's, it's right place. Well, that's not spiritual. That's just the way we're wired. And so if you're wired, as kind of a hang loose, let it happen. You know, don't, well, it, you're not going to be as tight in scheduling. I'm sure. But it doesn't mean that you don't need a schedule, that you don't need a budget. And and for you that are penny pinchers and you just won't spend unless you got to and other people just, yeah, that looks good. Let's get three of them, you know. Well, you don't say, well, just because you're one or the other, you need to or don't need to budget. You still need budgets, but it's more important for some than others. So simply put, try to find you a schedule. And here, lastly, is what you do. The same thing you do with your money budget as a Christian, you do with your time budget. When you think you've got it the way you think the Lord would be honored, you pretend that God, that Jesus is sitting at the table incarnate in flesh with you. And you take it and figuratively speaking, you push it across the table. And you say, Lord, are you pleased with this or not? And if in your gut you feel he's pushing it back saying, hmm... You know, you head in there, spend two times a week with your children and you're playing golf five times. Mm, I don't think that's good. Why don't you flip that around a little bit here, you know? And so you'll get the sense of whether it's right or not. And when you feel he didn't slide it back, start operating on it. When you don't keep it, don't feel big guilt and horrible and let it rule you. This is only a, a tool to aid you to getting where you want to go, okay? Let's very quickly look at your church and this will bring us to the end. If you'll turn to the next page in your bulletin insert, you will see perimeter church ministry plan. And I want you to know your church and understand who she is. Somebody came up to me after the last service and said, I never knew what was going on in our church. Thank you for giving us a picture. Well, I'm only taking us through this third question. How do we plan to accomplish our vision? And I've gone through the first piece, making mature and equipped followers, how we do that. Last week, we dealt with the page that deals with family transformation. If you go down to the bottom there, the next panel where it says, we plan to deploy our people for community and global transformation by. There are four things there. Let me hit these very quickly. Listen to what's going on in your church. See if you won't say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Serving people in need, number one. We were not a church of service until about our 25th year. And we took on a, that got put in our ministry plan for the first time. That we were going to be a serving people. As a result of that, we are right now collaborating with Johns Creek leadership. For a youth at risk initiatives that we are starting. Taking these kids that are in high risk situations. And you know how many suicides and all that's going on. And we've dreamed for the day that that we as a church and our community would start partnering together. I think that's wonderful. You need to be aware that uh, we have Kids Hope at Peachtree Elementary. We have uh, 68 mentors who are working with kids in that program at that school alone. We are now actually with six different schools partnering to help the children in those schools. Many of you have heard of Street Grace. Street Grace is a uh, a ministry that was birthed out of this church and others that gathered with us. We now have 80 churches that have joined us and this is a ministry to combat sex uh, uh children's uh, sex trafficking in our city. The worst city in in America right here Atlanta. And um and we have heard that the statistic is now we're no longer number 1 and I'm telling you Street Grace is one of the reasons, the primary reasons. We have, um, this year we supplied school supplies to about 3,000 kids. We had block parties this summer and uh, food um, uh, distribution to about 6,500 kids just this summer. We have each year about 6,000 people that we know of in this church who are serving somewhere outside. And a lot of those are not members, but they make this their church and are serving in some place. Those are just the ones we know of. And this year we had five New nonprofits that were birthed from members in this church having a burden for an area where they saw a need and uh, began that. Number two, let's look at partnering with other churches and organizations. We now have 15 partnering organizations that we're working with. We supply funds, we supply People, resources, all kind of things. We now have Unite, as you know, with 180 churches that have joined us. And God led some leadership in this church to birth the idea of Unite, gathering other churches with us to, to give a start. Where now we have 180 churches across Atlanta. All kind of things we're doing, but mobilizing, particularly in mentoring children in schools all over Atlanta now. And uh, mobilizing for foster care and adoption. It's unknown how many kids have been mentored, have been brought into homes because of the emphasis that the Lord put on this church and others to join with us to do that through Unite. Many of you are aware of Chip Sweeney, our staff member's uh, book, A New Kind, A Big. You ought to read it if you've not. It tells the story not only of our ministry, but others that are doing this sort of thing throughout uh, the country. Number three, planting new churches. Uh, some of you might be aware that uh, we were recently ranked as number four among America's top 25 multiplying churches, meaning that of uh, all well, the churches in the country, we're one of those that's really been known for starting churches and planting new ones. Um, un- I don't know how many, a lot of churches over these years, uh, one or two a year have been planted, and now we have not only our own plants, but their plants and now their plants and we're in the fourth generation of plants now coming out of our original ones so we still plant every year Find that to be very very important Um, igniting movements of disciple making uh, churches for the renewal of the city and this is the last one here and you'll be interested to know that we have now trained churches and leaders in churches in 20 global cities that have had our life on life training and I'm not talking about her to talk. I mean, I've been through training. We have, uh, churches in 14 different U S States that have gone through our training. Now, um, over 1100 pastors and leaders that have come to our journey training, uh, specific training here that have come here to get the training as opposed to the, um, um, teaching and so forth that I and others do on this. We now have uh, seven global, global cities that have birthed unite like movements. Because of our Unite, we've now been training and equipping churches. How would you like to meet with your other churches in your global city and cause something major to happen there? And then the last statistic, we have 1,527 members that have gone to 23 different countries over the last five years to serve in some, some capacity. So I hope you sense that we're making some great strides. I will say this, having said all these wonderful things, folks, we are truly just scratching the surface. And the reason's because we're not a church right now that are all in to go all out. But that's where we're headed over this next five years. And I think you're going to see something happen beyond anything you've ever imagined. I'll invite you, because the time to close out, I'm going to invite you to take your, your uh, insert and look over the who we are values, love, integrity, faith, and truth. Look at the what we do values, worship, belong, grow, and bless. See what that is. That's what we're shooting for. And we're going to be able to. Unveil a lot more to you. About what's coming in the future. This is kind of where we are. But when you come to these meetings. That we're holding here at the church. When you come to them. You're going to hear in the next five years. And I think you're going to want to be. All in to go all out. Let me, let me simply close. Last night I was here. About to. Get into the communion table time. It was offered out. I sit down and I sit there just meditating and thinking on the truth of the crucifixion. And for whatever reason, without plan, I had this thought come to mind. I wonder if I were sitting across the table from Jesus right now. And I were to have a talk with him. I wonder what he would say to me. What would be the first thing I would expect him maybe to say? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What do you think he'd say? Nobody knows. But I'll tell you, if you would hear him say, I am so fed up with the way you're living. I am so disappointed in you. I don't think you know the Jesus of Scripture. Might he be disappointed in your lifestyle? Oh, yeah. Might he wish that you would bring it together and You know, start showing something you hadn't been. Oh, yeah. But the reason is because he loves you. You're part of his family. Assuming you're his child. You know what you'd hear him say? And it just did something to me to sit there to think. I truly believe he'd look at me and say. I just accept you the way you are. I love you the way you are. For your sake, I don't want you to stay the way you are. But I love you the way you are. And when you understand the work of the cross, you understand that he loves you because of his righteousness, not because of your own. And this life planning, it'll be a tool because you love him and you want to get to know him better. The church, the reason you'll get in the church is not because, okay, I need it because it's good. No, it's because you say it's your heart's desire that your people belong to his bride and the expression of the church. And so I'm hoping that over these next few years, God's going to do something very, very big And I'm hoping you're going to be a part of it. Join in and let's watch where God takes us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the privilege to worship you, to be able to think about the church, and our church here, and our own lives as we pilgrimage together. Bless us, we pray. May we fall more in love with you. We ask in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.